Hello, you're listening to Shut Up and Watch This, episode number 37. I'm Dave. I'm Ashley. And we're a couple getting to know each other better by uncovering each other's media and pop culture blind spots and sharing the must-see movies and guilty pleasures from our past. Each time, one of us gets to choose something the other person's never seen before. A flim, I mean a film, mm-hmm. a television program, yes, a six-hour television miniseries, yes. perhaps. Perhaps. Um, a f- three- or four-hour samurai film from mm-hmm. Japan in the 50s, mm-hmm. or just, you know, sure. an Eddie Murphy movie. Yes. Okay. Um, one of those we've chosen for you tonight. Yes. If you're a regular listener, you may be able to single out the <laughs> unique characteristic in our intro. It was Ashley's turn to choose this time, wasn't it? Yes, it was my turn. And as heard, as seen, as previewed, as considered over many an episode, what is it that we have now come to discuss on uh, this eve? Oh my God, we're on some of the the big ones, the big ones from 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 my life. Um, we got we did Pride and Prejudice, um, the 1995 BBC miniseries shown on A and E here Six in the hour states. Miniseries. In 1995, I don't think I ever saw it um, when it was showing on A&E. I'm pretty sure that I had a VHS recording of it, um, or maybe a DVD, I'm not sure. But anyway, that was, I saw it, I guess I think it was probably a gift somebody gave me. And we put it in, watched it, fell in love with it, watched it again and again and again and again. And now how old do you think you were when you saw it for the first time when you received the gift? So it came out in 95, um, late 95. So I would have been 14 then, but I probably didn't get it till I was 15 or so. But I have long had a history of really enjoying British, British period drama. It's it was my thing for a long time, and I really think that like the '90s was kind of like the peak of the British period drama. Oh, it was you Merchant know. Ivory. Yeah, and the Room with a View was in All the '80s. All of that. Uh, um, Angley's Sense and Sensibility. Howard's End. Howard's End. Um, all of that. Wings of the Dove. The um, lesser Forrester ones, like Where Angels Fear to Tread. Yes, all of those. Um, so I would just. It was a good time to just, you know. Watch all the British people do British things in their period clothing. So you were know. you already a fan of the Jane Austen novel? Had you read the book or did you see the film so first? So I saw the film first. I saw all the <clears throat> films first before I read the books. But it did inspire me to read the books. Um, boy, I want to say the first one that I saw was probably Emma. The the Yeah, the, the Gwyneth Paltrow Gwyneth version. Gwyneth Paltrow version, um, which... At the time, I loved, but I think <clears throat> there has there it's been surpassed by the BBC with their newer Emma I've, no, I've never that seen they the did, one. Um, and then of course Sense and Sensibility, which I actually don't remember when exactly that came out. I don't know if it came out before or after. I would guess it's probably after in order to get the funding and all of that. Um, after which, what? After uh, the ninety five uh, Pride and Prejudice. Oh, I think so. I think so, it was 97 or 98 sure. for the Sense and Sensibility. 97-ish thing. sounds right Yeah. Uh, so anyway, this this film was like one of those that I just watched over and over and over. Similar to Anne of Green Gables, which we've done on the show. I think this is the best version of Pride and Prejudice I've seen, of course. And have you seen all seven versions? Or I, however, I was uh, just looking at There's like the, a nine of the them or whatever. Entry, I haven't yeah. seen the ones from the 40s or anything like that. I did see the one with Kira Knightley, which is 
awful. Um, they try to sorry, Kira. Yeah, I have opinions about these things. Um, they try to direct it like a Bronte adaptation, and it's not. Jane Austen is not Bronte. You just cannot. So did they make it very brooding and atmospheric? It's very brooding. It's very That's brooding not... and atmospheric. It's also too short is the other part. Okay. And Kira Knightley's too pointy is the other problem. Did you say pointy? Pointy. She's too pointy her to chin, be. Her chin, her nose, her, her, her whole her, manner. Her whole existence. She's too pointy. She's to, sharp. Yeah. But she not. She has an edge. Yeah. Like, like, she's just not as, you know, Elizabeth's supposed to be joyful and in her she's really intelligent but she you I know has feel fun like Kira and Mary going to blow away or something yeah i, mean, I don't know of... i love Kira Knightley just not as elizabeth bennett it's just it's just wrong so <laughs> so uh when i asked you the other day we were going to try and record this mm-hmm. i said uh, do you feel like you have things to say about or, about uh, pride and prejudice for the podcast are you ready and you said <laughs> in some ways, I've been preparing for this podcast my whole life. It's true. It's and true. And I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> and here I am with uh, one page of notes. Yeah. Probably not very good. Well, I mean, it's just it's just one of those, like, foundational things. And, like, I can't... It's so much a part of my life, I can't even pinpoint a time that it before it existed in my life it's like i don't know the first time i saw gone with the wind it's just so foundational to you know who i and then you know so i saw this and then it inspired me to read jane austen books and so then i read all the jane austen books and then it you know it it's it served as a gateway to classic literature in a way that i hadn't come across before then you know i cool you know so so it made me want to go, I mean, like, I never would have read Bronte if I hadn't read Austen first, you know? So is this your favorite Jane Austen adaptation because this was, like, your gateway? I think so, but it's just so good, and it's such a good adaptation of the book. I mean, you know, people complain about ad- movie adaptations, and I think there is strength in sort of editing in some cases, but this is such a well-done representation of the entire work. Mm-hmm. There is... Almost nothing that happens in the book that doesn't also happen in the miniseries. It's just so well done. They didn't have to cut anything. They had plenty of time. And yet, I wouldn't necessarily look at the novel or the, the yeah. you know the book I read. I read in high school. Yeah, that's where I first encountered it, and think this needs a six-hour adaptation. Yeah, like, but it never <laughs> felt long. No, it never felt like too much. It never was like, oh my god. They still have to sort out Darcy. And, yeah. You know. The way they they use time in this is really well. They, I mean, like they shot during the seasons that that things were supposedly happening. Um, so you get that, that sense of moving through time over, I think it's about a year and a half maybe of time, but we get to see the seasons change and, you know, the activities of this family throughout a year and a half of their lives um, or maybe just a year. I'm not quite clear on that but um it's just like you know it's I guess I said a little something about I think there (laughs) is strength in taking a book and abridging it for a you know a a film Mm -hmm. thing I think I mean and a lot of people this had to be a mini series you wouldn't want to sit for six hours or go to two different uh Kill Bill Volume 1 and Volume 2 for yeah. Pride and Prejudice. Yeah, so literature and and film are different mediums. So, mm-hmm. of course, they, they should be different. 
But I think that that when you find a book that can be adapted so well, and Jane Austen wrote fantastic dialogue, most of the dialogue, I mean, not all of it, but a lot of the dialogue from the film is taken directly from the dialogue that she wrote in in the novel itself. So you get to see how, you know, fantastic um, Jane Austen was as a, it's not a yeah. dramatist, but, you know, I almost, essentially. That's the word that popped into my head. Yeah. Just at the at the dialogue that she wrote, and it was so witty and and smart, and you know it it, it makes you want to go in and and read more about this woman. And it made me want to go back and read the book. Yes, I've read the book. I've read three Austins. I think mm. this was my first. I read it in high school, British English or freshman English or something like that. I'd never seen any film adaptation of it. I've never mm-hmm. seen the. Um, any of the films. Mm-hmm. Never saw the old Laurence Olivier. I never saw the the more recent Kira Knightley and never this one. But I've heard of this one for years. Yeah. And I've seen the cover in video mm-hmm. stores and posters and there's the whole, you know, Mr. Darcy, Colin Firth. Yes. Let's talk about them a little bit. Actually, for somebody, if, you know, for anybody out there who's never read Pride and Prejudice, doesn't know Jane Austen, what would you kind of say this is about? Like, how would you draw them into making this something you got to see. Oh boy. That's no, no pressure or anything. Um, <laughs> or just give a it's, sense It's really of it kind of a simple story. Um, it's about a, a family, you know, they're, they're, they're richer than middle-class, but they're not ri- They're gentlemen. Yeah. They're the gentry of England, but they're not wealthy. They've come down in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, the father was a gentleman. He married in order to keep his fortune. He married the daughter of a, um, I think she, he's like a salesman or a tradesman or something like that. So he came from, you know, English, English, um, I don't know, lordship, gentlemanness. Mm-hmm. I don't know exactly. And so this is a time in England when there's a lot of sort of movement in the socials. Strata. Yeah. yeah, that's so, done really well so in this you, film. Yeah, you've got you've got gentlemen who've lost their fortune for various reasons. And then you have sort of the nouveau riche and, and yeah, the climbers. That are coming up in the world and they're intermarrying in order to sort of the gentlemen are trying to save their estates by, you know, this influx of new money from, you know, essentially investment in the colonies, really. Sorry, history lesson. Anyway, <laughs> so it's about his family, and he has five daughters. But no son. And no son. Um, so essentially his estate is entailed away to uh, a distant relative, a cousin. A male cousin. So his daughters need to marry well in order to support themselves because he can't give them. So it's essentially... And when he dies, the, the house they live in and, mm. and all their fortune will go to the... The yes. cousin. And this is pretty common. Like, it's sort of the basis of Sense and Sensibility, too, about these entails. Mm-hmm. They changed the law, I forget when, sometime during the Downton Abbey time, so later, um, so that g- women could inherit mm-hmm. fortunes. But at the time, women weren't allowed to inherit fortunes. So you they just could have for a, the nearest male relatives. Yeah, essentially, and just hope that he would be nice to your family. So it was important that the daughters marry well in order to, you know. Okay, that makes a lot more sense because I (laughs) I knew that on some level, but it really explains the hysteria of Mrs. Bennet. Yeah. (laughs) Who is completely obsessed and her every thought in her head is about how can she marry off her daughters. Well, and she comes from, you know, 
What is her, her family? Her, fa- to be? her father was a tradesman, so he's. They were moving up in the world, okay. you know. And in order to maintain what she's gained by marrying a gentleman, she kind of has to make sure that her daughters marry well in order to continue, or at least stay where she is and not sink back down into, yeah. you know, middle class. You know, which oh no, it's terrible. Now, in Sense and Sensibility, though, they actually lose their house. Essentially, and stuff. it's yeah. almost like the what if of this playing mm. out. Yeah. Huh. Okay. So tell me about Elizabeth Bennett, our, so our she's, heroine. She's the second daughter. There's the yeah. oldest daughter's Jane, mm-hmm. who's very pretty. And um, she's supposed to be the one that's supposed to raise everybody's fortunes because she's the, by far the most pretty and the nicest of them. Um, and then after that, uh, Elizabeth is also pretty, just not quite as pretty as Jane. That's like a thing throughout the whole thing. I don't agree with that, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> British people like blonde. So, yeah. you know. Um, and Elizabeth is smart and witty and, and funny and, um, she's her father's favorite daughter and, um, and she has entirely her own personality, her own drive is making her own way in the world intellectually and seems sort of complete, you know, and not obsessed with the whole question of will I or won't I find a man? Well, there's a great conversation between her and Jane, which is Jane says she would really like to marry for love. And Elizabeth says that she's not getting married unless she's in love. So Mm -hmm. she's like, it's, it's interesting. Jane feels the pull of the family obligation in order to sort of raise their fortunes. Whereas Elizabeth as the second daughter doesn't quite have that pressure, but also is not of the, not in the mood to, to humor. It's interesting then the view you get of the choices she's making and what she wants in comparison to the others around her, like her sister Jane. Yeah. And um her best friend who ends Charlotte up Charlotte Lucas, yeah. Who ends up marrying Mr. Collins. Yes. The terrible cousin. Who's this the pompous, awful, <laughs> obsequious um is he he's like a country deacon or like a right? Is he Yeah, like a, so he's he he got the they call it a living, but essentially yeah. it's the parish and a house that goes with it mm-hmm. and then the land that goes around a parish. So he, he is cousin to, um, to Elizabeth and, and the rest yeah. of the daughters. So he's, he's think, the one who will inherit uh, Longbourn. Essentially. Yeah. So he'll, they, yeah. um, so he thinks it's a good idea for him to offer himself in marriage to one of the daughters. But meanwhile, he's like awful and stupid. Um, and very silly. <laughs> <laughs> and completely obsessed with um, his patroness, yes, uh, Lady, Lady Catherine, Catherine de Berg. Yes, it's just a, he almost never utters a sentence that doesn't refer to Lady Catherine. Yeah, de Berg. essentially, I mean, like his and whole life is about and her. her, her house and her bestowing upon him such wonderful fortune so and his, attentions. His parish is on her grounds or yeah. near her grounds, so that's the church that she attends. Mm-hmm. So she oversees like sort of everything that goes on with him, and um, he he just loves that. But um. he is an ass kisser <laughs> extraordinaire. Yes, yes, but actually believes all of that too. I mean, yeah. that, it's not from it's not it doesn't feel like it's from a position of falseness. Yeah. It feels like that's what that's yeah. how small minded he is. Well, it's, that this is his main concern. It's funny. He always he provides this sort of comic <clears throat> background because. Every time he comes onto the scene, it's Elizabeth's father is, you know, 
like who enjoys fallacy watching folly in other people and so he nothing does he enjoy more than watching the folly of of his his brother's son and how silly he is mm-hmm. um like he reads the letter out to the family you know and only elizabeth really picks up on the <laughs> you know and it's funny it's not that jane isn't smart it's just that she's very nice and mm-hmm. so she doesn't have that sort of I, I wouldn't say cruelty, but um, appreciation for she takes folly people and others. At face value, yeah, exactly. Too. She doesn't really see ulterior motives or the bad, the 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 you know the bad qualities yeah. of people. Like you said, she's very positive. Yeah, and nice. Yes, <laughs> Elizabeth is more of a realist. She, she, yeah, so yeah, Jane sees the best in everyone. She looks for the best in everyone, you know. Which so talk to me about the men in their lives. Who is this uh, Mr. Darcy, Colin Firth, with the smoky, um, disdainful uh, <laughs> expressions, brooding in corners? So I guess like stepping out of lakes with sodden shirts. Because <laughs> all of the, all of all of these kind of everything comes from the view of the women, which is great. Yeah. And you know, Jane Austen was a woman; she didn't really have the experience of, you know living in circles with men, but the whole events of the novel sort of take off when men come into the country. So um, Mm -hmm. the story starts when Mr. Bingley and Mr. Darcy come into town and Mr. Bingley um, rents a a country house near, um, near Longbourn and, um, and, you know, gets the whole town, uh, a, a butter, a bustle, a, a whisper, whatever. <laughs> Everybody's excited They're because there's excited. some eligible rich men in town. Um, the militia is staying there too, right? Yeah, at some point the militia comes in as well, which, like, I don't know much about the military history of Britain, but it sounds like Did these they just guys travel just, from town to town and just kind like of flirting with for women a while and flirt with the women because that's what we see. In, I don't know. They have to entertain the officers. I, I and guess, they wear their regimentals. It's true. It seems like. Sometime during the day, they would be training there. I don't know. We sort of see them just uh, loitering about town, flirting yeah, with women. Exactly. I can't, This is probably like, is it post-Napoleon at this point or pre Probably before the we, wars. Is this supposed to take place when the novel was written around 1813? 1813. So that would probably be before. That's after, the, isn't it? Or is it after? I don't know. I don't know. Sorry, anyway, so <laughs> History is a long, long time ago. So, you know, all the events of the novel kind of happen as these people run into each other at balls and parties and and that sort of thing. Um, So our first interaction with um, Mr. Bingley and Mr. Darcy is is at a dance. And Mr. Bingley brings his sisters and Mr. Darcy to this dance where he meets the the Bennett sisters. And, you know, he immediately takes a shine to Jane. Um, Darcy is less than impressed with what he has, what's on offer in this small town. He's used to the superior society of, of, of London, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Um, so he, you know, essentially insults everyone there with his sort of pride and arrogance and, um, outright insults Elizabeth, you know, within her hearing, he says that she's not very pretty and he's not inclined to dance with her and, and that sort of thing. Um, so that is our first introduction to... And he always just looks like he's disapproving yes. of everyone. and doesn't really talk to anyone outside of his immediate party. The Doesn't look like he wants to be there. No. 
and and excellently played by Colin Firth. You feel how how arrogant and although sometimes <laughs> a little too far in that yeah, direction, yeah. where I wanted a little because uh, at least the first couple episodes, he's always yeah. Really, very disagreeable. Haughty. Is that yes. a good word? Haughty, haughty. disagreeable. Not a haughty, but yeah. he is haughty. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he's also a haughty. I don't know. Um, yeah. So, but he does look very disagreeable yes. indeed. So, I mean, like, I just think that, especially in that first scene, how well suited they are for those roles. Mm-hmm. Colin Firth for Mr. Darcy and Jennifer Eel for. Elizabeth, because they just play off each other really well, even though they don't have much interaction. But like her reactions to the things that he says, you know, she kind of laughs off this like insult about her not being very pretty and him not wanting to dance with, you know, someone so low class as as her, you know, Mm -hmm. and she just kind of she makes Mary Mary about it. And, you know, and um, yeah. So. They are amazing, the two leads. Yes. Elizabeth is, what, Jennifer Eel? Yes. Who I don't recall having seen in anything else that I'm aware of. I didn't actually look up her credits, so I don't know what else she's done. And um, yeah, I Colin can't... Firth, this was apparently the, the thing that really oh, yeah. drove him and brought him into stardom. And, yeah. And, uh, well, after seeing this miniseries, Helen Fielding? the writer of, Brill- of Bridget Jones she wrote Bridget Jones after she saw this thing so she and was then, like Whoa. and then she wrote it with with Colin Firth in mind for the role which of- is brilliant because when yeah. you made the film adaptation <laughs> of the novel that she was yeah. inspired to write they got Colin Firth to play the part well I think like when they were getting prepared for that she was like it can't be anyone else it has to be you know it so has he essentially to be <laughs> got to play Darcy again he's also named Mark yes. Darcy that's right. It's the and, same. And uh, Bridget Jones is our Elizabeth. Yes. <laughs> which makes Hugh Grant um, Wickham, I guess. Yeah, he yeah. he's the Wickham character mm-hmm. in that. So Wickham is the... Scoundrel. Scoundrel, who um, initially is very charming and takes everyone in, but it turns out he's... He's a fortune hunter and a womanizer. Yeah. Sometimes both at once. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and sometimes just a womanizer, which yes. is how uh, Lydia gets in trouble. Yes. Silly, silly Lydia. So the, and Elizabeth has three other sisters, um, Marion, Kitty, uh, Mary, who's very plain and very scholarly, and um, plays a piano at parties in a very d- dreary way. Yes, mm-hmm. and then uh, Kitty and Lydia, who are I think fourteen and fifteen, or fifteen and sixteen, mm-hmm. so they're right together. And Kitty's they kind older of, than Lydia. Lydia's supposed to be the youngest. Yeah. Although uh, I think Julia Sawala was like 25 or something when oh she yeah, played that part. Oh, yeah, interesting, yeah. Um, so Lydia's the silly, vivacious sister who's obsessed with with the officers and, and um, you know, ends up nearly ruining the family's uh, credibility in the world with her um, scandalous... Scandalous uh, behavior. Yes. Shocking. <laughs> she wants to go to Brighton. She wants to go to Brighton. And she wants to shack up with uh, officers. Yes. And she does. She does. She shacks up with them. Nearly brings brings about the ruin of of the entire family, as you've said. (laughs) And all all manner of uh, things have to play out in order to to solve this problem. It's 
it's nearly impossible to <clears throat> sort of explain all the different sort of intricate things that happen during the novel because it or during no, the miniseries because it's like a lengthy. We just need thing. to whet the appetite yes. or help people appreciate <laughs> something they already like. Um, but I want to say something for so the first time I watched this was on VHS, which would have been like four three aspect. You're going to talk about nerdy restoration stuff. Um, so when we. I've had this DVD for, it's, we got a Blu-ray. I think you bought it at Target or something. Yeah, we got the restored Blu-ray and I bought this about a year and a half ago trying to, or maybe even two years ago, trying to get Dave to watch it. And, um, we had an issue with my DVD player. It wouldn't play it for some reason. Mm -hmm. Um, so we watched like the first episode, the first, or maybe first 15 maybe minutes, half hour, 20 yeah, minutes before the, the DVD kept resetting. Um, so we, when we put it in this time, I was just overwhelmed by how good this restoration looks. It looks fantastic. They went back to the original negative. Um, as someone who's seen this film upwards of... <laughs> you watched it on your old VHS yeah, millions of times. Probably, you know, upwards of 50, 60 times in my life. Um, it was like seeing a whole new film. The just the detail in the fabric that you uh -huh. could see that you couldn't see before in the sort of, what is it, Super 16 that it was yeah, shot in? Yeah, I didn't in. even know you could get the, this kind of detail and resolution on Super 16. We shot on 16 when I was in film school. Not Super 16, but it's... It's it's beautiful. The, I remember everything having this sort of green cast mm -hmm. and being a little bit fuzzy and soft. Well, you know, um, I was also reading about this just mm. now, is we're now seeing it as it was shot mm -hmm. widescreen and rescanned at 4k resolution, yeah. all that kind of stuff. But when it was shown on television and probably on the tapes and the DVDs, it was pan and scan where mm -hmm. you don't see the widescreen letterboxed image. Yeah. You saw you're getting the wide, you're getting your widescreen, you know, in a four by three aspect ratio and the, and you have like fake camera moves. So you can see the yeah. most important part of the, you know, digital camera moves. Yeah. So you can see the most important part of the frame. So that would have made it look blown up and more grainy too, in general. It's, it looks absolutely gorgeous. But you it are is always so, seeing, yeah. The detail that you get, the skin tone looks better. It's the clarity of the image is so much. It, it was like watching a different film. So if you've seen this film before, see it again in the restored one because it's it's incredible i just was i was floored by the detail that you could see in the costumes i knew the costumes must have been detailed it was a really expensive miniseries to put out they spent a thousand i'm sorry a million pounds per episode, episode six episodes um so the the costumes were you know some of the best researched you know, costumes, they're amazing, well, but the you can actually, that's what the BBC does. You can see all the texture, all the detail, all the stitching, all of that, that wasn't really clear before, you know, the, you were ooing and aahing over yeah. some of the gentlemen's suits and, <laughs> yes. and uh, fabric. You and could stuff. see all the texture and everything <laughs> like that. You could really see the differences in class implied by the, you know, the, by the fabric, the fine work <laughs> of the, of the costumer who, who, who do, who, you know, they do fantastic work, but you couldn't really see it in the old one. And now you can, it's just like, well, that's this, cool because yeah. you're getting to see this almost like in a like with new eyes. Yeah. It's something different than you've seen before. Yeah. It was Even amazing. Though you're coming back to <laughs> a, a show, you know, and love yeah. really well, which so, I can like recite dialogue. Me, on the other <laughs> hand, I wasn't noticing the costumes and yeah. stuff per se, as I was like, as I, I felt like I was looking through a, beautiful clear window mm -hmm. at you know Longbourn Estate yeah. or um Pemberley yeah um 
you know, and it just made me, <laughs> we went to England last year. We went to London. We spent all of our, all of that break in London. But I was like, oh my God, we have to go back and go to these manor houses. Yeah. Although, you know, I did <laughs> we need to go to Pemberley. We spent a good amount of time in the parks though, in the we giant did. parks. We did. But, we have know. seen the ornamental gardens. <laughs> yes. We've been to Regent's Park and uh, Queen Mary's uh, Rose Garden and all that stuff. But we need to go stand there at yeah. Darcy's Lake. It's right. It's it, at Lime Lime Park or whatever yeah. that is. Yeah. Where they filmed Pemberley. It's so that beautiful. was the that's the big scene where Darcy jumps into the lake. Talk that to me sort about that got. scene. Why is that what he it's Colin Firth wading into a lake, doesn't even take his shirt off. Why is this so astounding? You know, I, I don't what? know, but I know I, didn't, that I had never heard of it before. Insp- I mean, so you're like, the one who said like, oh, my God, this is the scene that drove everyone nuts. And I was like, really? Why? I don't know. So among my girlfriends, like, like I had a friend who was like, I'm going to like when the Internet started and they started printing things on. She was going to get like a Colin Firth with a wet shirt. Uh, what is that? Pillowcase what printed. Is it about? You know, I don't I don't know. It's just it. He looks really good in a wet shirt, I guess. Well, I mean, I don't know. It's it's. Is it something about the the class and how he's dressed, and then the well, masculinity he, well, okay, so of like comes, just kind of he comes over the hill on a yeah. white horse galloping. Okay. You know, that's so you've got your prince charming sort of thing. You know, and the I guess that sort of that sort of what is that Georgian style yeah. dress, which is one of those time periods where they were trying to repopulate after, you know, one of the great plagues or something like that. So they've got the classic it, you know, any, any time that, that the population needs to be recreated, there's this sort of focus in fashion on like broad shoulders for men that sort of taper to, mm-hmm. um, to pants that sort of highlight the male characteristics. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and then, you know, similarly women will, it will, they'll have clothing that sort of highlights their, breasts and hips the low cut yeah uh, so, push-up sort of thing so that they it's, all have. it's unconscious but it's something that happens throughout human history every time there's like a great loss of human life there's this sort of focus on you know reproduction and that sort of thing so that that and comes across changes. in the clothing that's interesting so he's wearing this jacket that sort of like highlights his broad shoulders and you know I don't know. So He'd, in Victorian England, did we just have, we have enough people. We're overpopulated. Yeah. We must, put, <laughs> we, we can't have bare table legs well, anymore. And, well, if you want to talk about Victorians, they were obsessed with sex. That's why they covered everything up. You know, they mm. couldn't think about anything else. If you want to talk yeah, about yeah. Victorians. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, that, I, I can't, I can't really explain it. I just know that like among my girlfriends and, you know, certainly in the wider world, it was sort of like a, like a sort of a, seems like a trope or something. Yeah. So know, sort like of a, like, especially a momentous, uh, very exciting for us, uh, you know, European-ish women, I guess, you know, we were, I don't know. It's, it's interesting. Like you, I was I watched about a th- the first third or half of the film like the whole time going what's the what's so special about <laughs> Mr. Darcy? I was like he's very clearly a complete asshole. Yeah. He's he's awful. <laughs> he's like that arrogant sort of snobby 
disdainful, um, judgmental, yeah. you know, and so that's where I was for a lot of it. And and I was like, and Colin Firth, he's just scowling. Look, oh, look, another scowl. Yeah. Oh, he's still scowling over there in the shadow, still <laughs> scowling, still disapproving, still frowning. And I couldn't figure it out. But I think it's one of the strengths of Jane Austen's story, the characterization of Darcy, yeah. Colin Firth's mm. portrayal of him, and the way that the narrative unfolds is that my reaction and attitude towards Darcy changes throughout along yeah. as we learn more about well, him and, and his motives and so does as does Elizabeth. So I felt like I was in sync with Elizabeth. And by the time we get, you know, the last episode or two where you see what he's actually engineering behind yeah. the scenes and how much he actually cares and, and despite his strange and awkward proclamations yeah. of love that are also kind of insulting, um, he is not the man that you think he is. Yeah. And never really was the man you think he was. Well, if I were going to, you know, for a universal theory about... Of Darcy? About men and women and... Okay. And, but, like, Jane Austen wrote from a point of view as a woman who didn't have much interaction directly with men and certainly no interaction with men in, in a situation where there be multiple men alone. So she she didn't have that full understanding of... And I feel like maybe a lot of, you know, the stories we tell ourselves about society is that men and women are different. And so, like, this sort of... When you don't know someone and they're not immediately able to open up to you for whatever reason, then there's this sort of air of mystery and do they like me? Do they hate me? This sort of thing. So, I mean, like, I think that it's... It may, <laughs> this is your universal uh, well, theory it of may uh, be that, feminine attraction to brooding, disdainful well, men? Well, I mean, if when I met you... Oh. <laughs> she just looked at me. <laughs> she just gave me such a look right now. I had a very different view of who you were as a person until I got to know you better. And even up, I mean, even after we've been friends for a year until we were in an intimate relationship, she's trying to tell me that I was the arrogant <laughs> jerky guy. No, no. But I mean, like you have a different, you don't understand people's motives until you get to know them better so that you can understand what drives them. And, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, if you let that first interaction with them sort of st- steer what you think of them, you may not necessarily get an accurate picture of the person. But, mm-hmm. you know, so, I mean, like, I think I think that 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 it comes into play. So you think just, she actually captures that well. Just, you know, Jane Austen. yeah. But and then, like, you know, sometimes you meet someone for the first time and you get sort of a negative feeling, but then you get to know them better and. And just by getting to know them better, you begin to understand them better and you understand their mannerisms and everything like that. And suddenly all the things that you thought were signs of them hating you or being, well, although he kind of like outright says that anyway. <laughs> he actually was disdainful. <laughs> he was actually disdainful. <laughs> but, you know, I think that that in getting to know each other and like, you know, he got to know her too and to know that, you know, she's you know, wonderful and joyful. and Well, he lumped her along with the rest of her family, which yeah. he thought were just a bunch of silly women looking for husbands. Yeah. <laughs> who had nothing really to well, offer except they can play and the isn't piano that, and Isn't that flirt. like a misunderstanding of the wealthy and, you know, people who who don't have wealth and, and are just trying to get by, you yeah. know, essentially. I mean, these, these people were still 
wealthy. I mean, they weren't going to starve to death or anything like that. But, you know, his failure to empathize with the position that they were in, which was that they were potentially going to lose their place in society, you know, if they didn't seek out these things. So these behaviors that he thought were so disgusting were something that they needed to do. They were survival instincts. Yeah. So there was they were a, the position that they were put in, yeah. that they only had so many choices available yeah. to them. So there was a lack of empathy on on both sides, you know, you know, his and I, I think that's so well, wonderful. Well, they both did kind of a very cursory like yeah. survey of the other person, like you said, yeah. and made snap judgments that stuck with them for a long time. Well, and that's the wonderful of, you know, Ness of. Uh, particularly this title is that it applies to both of our main characters, you know, at yeah, different parts. Yeah, I kept parts in my mind the, going, well, Darcy's <laughs> pride, and so prejudice must be, well, wait, maybe, so. No, they, they both had their own sort of, sort of thing at the, mm-hmm. you know, and I think in some ways, like, when Elizabeth rejects, you know, Darcy's initial proposal, mm-hmm. like, that's her pride coming out, you know, you know, he he wounded her pride in, in pointing out things that were, you know, she knew to be true, mm-hmm. but, you know, to have someone say that to them, to her face, you know, that's kind of... So she snapped back at him pretty hard. <laughs> and in turn, I guess, ruined it, wounded his pride in, in return. It was... So that's one of my favorite exchanges is that when he... It's a miracle that they end up together. Yeah. I mean, spoilers, 1813, <laughs> but they did have other opportunities. Yeah. Well, every every one of those entanglements and disappointments and um, altercations like led to more mystery and intrigue and, and them both needing and wanting more information. Yeah. They're... They're into each other. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Even if it's not always like, they're all, I don't know. You know what I mean? Yeah, saying. yeah. I think that every time, you know. There's a lot there of was, the... There was enough there. I mean, like, she's just such an intriguing character that, of course, the more you got to know her, the more you would be into her. And then, you know, it was just up to him to display what was there, you know, which... He says that he wasn't easily able to express that to other people that he didn't no, know well. And that's one of the things I really liked about Darcy's Col- an introvert. He <laughs> is an introvert. And that's uh, so it's not just that he's haughty and disdainful at the ball. Yeah. It's the, I think it's really the strength of Colin first performance is that you see that there is a shyness and a social phobia or a social awkwardness mm. aspect yeah. to it. He doesn't want to be in that situation. Yeah. He th- that's not his his natural realm to be surrounded by yeah, women. Like he does there are clearly scenes where he can barely get a word out. Yeah. And you know, he's almost just talking about the weather when he's trying to actually start a conversation and he has no idea how yeah. to start a conversation. So, it isn't just disdain and disapproval of her and her family. He doesn't know how to talk to people. Yeah. At least that's what I got from the performance by Colin Firth. Yeah, I think so. Well, I mean, and I think that it's nice that he was paired with Mr. Bingley, who was like similar to Jane, like very open and and just nice and thinks the best of people sort of. So here's the thing. I I agree with you, but I don't know if it's because the novel 
I assume, is told primarily from Elizabeth's point of view. Mm. Do we ever... Are we ever just with Jane or, you know... I think that it's it's third-person om, omni, omnipresent, but, but, it, but it focuses... We only hear Elizabeth's thoughts. Okay. I mean, like... The omnipresent doesn't go so it's far. Third I think person omniscient from her point of view. Yeah, essentially. So she's pretty much present or recount or thinking about or recounting whatever is yeah. taking place. So I don't know if it's that, but Elizabeth and Darcy are so richly painted, mm. and I don't feel like a lot of the other, like some of the other characters, have as much weight to them. Yeah. Like I don't feel like. I don't feel, and I don't know if it's the film or if it's the yeah. story, but I don't feel like there. You don't get a lot to Jane. You don't get a lot to Mister Bingley. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Well, in a sense, I think there's a lot of weight just that that Elizabeth and Jane are sisters. Mm-hmm. So there's there's that 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 intimate relationship between sisters, and then the fact that she considers her her closest confidant. So the, there's a lot of work being done just in that assumption mm-hmm. that that they're sisters and they're close. But, yeah, there's not a whole lot of... Well, we don't get a lot of Jane's interior I don't, life. Yeah, you don't feel like they're... Like, you don't have a sense of these of some of these people having well, an inner life. And then, you know, Mr. Darcy you know, says like, something about Jane, which is that he felt like her... Her countenance is so collected, like she doesn't put on, she doesn't say more than she feels. She doesn't even say all that she feels. She's very collected in that way. And he didn't so, believe that she was that, in, she, that she loved Bingley. Yeah, essentially, you know, because. So he engineered trying to, you know, pull them apart. Yeah, and, you know, Elizabeth is astounded that anybody would think that, but she knows her sister, so she knows her behavior and her looks and, and well, and they get to have sisterly conversations after the ball in their, in their room (laughs) together, you know, brushing their hair and such. Well, and I think there's, there's a part where Charlotte says to Elizabeth that she thinks Jane needs to like put it on the table, Mm -hmm. like be like, make it very clear that she's into him. And Jane doesn't do that. And Elizabeth thinks it's silly that her friend would tell her sister to do that. But I mean, in this sense, I think she was right, like, practically speaking, if she wanted to, you know, make it clear that, you know, it's it's interesting, you know. And Char- Charlotte's thing is different because Charlotte is older. I don't know mm-hmm. if that's clear it, from that. Not really. But Charlotte tell. is considered to, she's like 27, 28 oh, in so the this, books. So she's seeing this she's, as, this is my shot. Yeah, this is, so she's sort of an old maid in the eyes, whereas okay, Elizabeth is... I didn't is, get that. Elizabeth is 20. I thought she was supposed to be you know, um, Elizabeth's age, like a contemporary, which like is best like friend. Which is like sort of on the older age of, of that mm-hmm. time period, I think. But... But Charlotte is really and truly over the hill in the sense of, you know, nowadays, mm-hmm. like you still if you're 28, so she's going to accept an offer. Yeah. So she, you know, she gets an offer from not, you know, from Mr. Collins, who is, you know, as we said, not the greatest guy in the world. But she understands the the practicality of the match. And, you know, he's fine. Yeah, he's fine. It'll he's do stupid <laughs> and talks a lot. But he's a good man, yeah. basically. But Charlotte knows that it's the best she can do at this point. So she takes her, you know, she takes what comes, you know. Whereas Elizabeth, I mean, because of her age and actually because of her slightly elevated situation, her, her uh, Charlotte Lucas's father is a knight, but he's only lately been raised. So 
Like, mm-hmm. whereas Elizabeth's father is sort of older. Mm-hmm. It's fascinating. All I didn't this, really like, understand class stuff that, the, yeah. I didn't understand the positions <laughs> of the fathers in this. Yeah, so that comes from the books. Like, I, I wouldn't have understood that without, you know, having read the books and, and knowing all of that stuff. So, anyway. But I love her parents in the yeah. in the film. Yeah, I kept t- I kept telling you, Mr. Bennett was my favorite. I mean, he's not my. I mean, I love Elizabeth and no. and Darcy, but he <laughs> his sort of weary, uh, you know, witty. These, you know, are you going to leave me with these silly girls? And yeah, he always says uh, he's a very affectionate father, despite the fact that he, um, you know, is is sort of. Glancing sideways. Glancing the poor man. Yeah. <laughs> with with Mrs. Bennett. Yes. Hysterical Mrs. Bennett. <laughs> who never stops talking. And Lydia ever, asking ever, for ever. things all the time. And the silly girls. Yes. He's always talking about the silly girls. Elizabeth <laughs> is the one. Elizabeth and Jane are the ones that aren't silly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, sometimes it's safer just to hide in your library. It's true. With your with your book and your sherry. Your little mm-hmm. sherry class. And um, the wonderful Allison Stedman plays Mrs. Bennett. She's fantastic, yeah. She's so good at being obnoxious that that there were times where I was like, <laughs> this is awfully obnoxious, <laughs> which I'm, I know is the effect they're going yeah. for. But, and I love her. So I wonder but. how they mic'd her so that she didn't like blow out the mic all the I time. I don't know because she's always <laughs> kind of barking in that shrieking falsetto yeah. <laughs> and falls to pieces about everything or is in, in hysterics. Yeah. It's either positive hysterics or dreadful yeah. end of the world hysterics. Everything. And she, well, and it's, it's often she'll go from one to the other in, in like one no, moment. Yeah. No one time. Scene. And, like the, when Lydia goes off with Wickham and you know, one moment she's hysterical because she's afraid her husband's going to fight Wickham and that he'll die in this duel. And then the next minute she's, uh, you know, talking about how, um, you know, Lydia needs to ask her about the best houses for wedding clothes. Like this is all within like two minutes of each other. (laughs) And you just want to say foolish woman. Yes. (laughs) Your daughter is a ruined woman and has just, things have just been made right. We, there is no joy in this wedding. Yeah. There will be no beautiful <laughs> ceremony. You, this could have ended a completely different way. Well, and that's the other thing. Like, I know they modernized it, but I'm pretty sure they didn't have like wedding ceremonies in the way that we see them in Jane Austen films. I think that they were more... I mean, our tradition of like the white dress and all of that mm-hmm. business came from Victorian times. Yeah, I don't so, know anything about that. So I'm pretty sure that that's just something they add for for modern appeal. Although maybe it was celebrated in in in. So is all of this business with Wickham and Lydia as as explicit in in the novel as it is in the show? Like I was surprised and flabbergasted that she ran away with him and like they were shacked up and all that. And I was like, "Really? That happened in the story?" Yeah, I, the, so that's that's exactly what happened. They 
thought they were going to go get married in Scotland. I read all about the Scottish marriage laws recently. Um, <laughs> Who doesn't? You know, I did the Scotland other day. Scotland had a law that totally um, read about the Scottish that uh, girls as young as twelve could get married without the permission of their parents in Scotland, but not in England. So, so that's Scotland why it, was like Nevada. Yeah. So I mean, essentially, not, not with the underage thing, but with it, get a quick, easy marriage. Just go to Scotland. People would elope to Scotland because they didn't need their parents' consent in order to get married. Mm-hmm. Um, so Wickham absconds with Lydia to Scotland, but really just to sleep with her, and right? So they, but, you know, so everybody thinks, oh, they've gone to Scotland. That's pretty imprudent for him to just run off with her and marry her. That's pretty weird. But then they discovered that they didn't go to Scotland. They ended up in London, which means she's not married and she's living with this guy, you know, and all the things that are implied by that. So that... There, she's a truly ruined woman, as they say. But Lydia doesn't know know she's a ruined woman. She thinks she's just on a pit stop before getting married, right? I mean, you don't... She never seems worried about her situation. You know, I'm not clear if, like, Lydia, Lydia either doesn't know about social mores because she hasn't been taught properly, or she doesn't care, you know? I can't tell. Yeah, so whether she's a very modern woman in that sense, or, or just that she's very... Clueless I, about I thought that sort maybe, of maybe maybe she was supposed to be clueless and such have such a head full of like girlhood mm. romance that she had worked it all out in her head that this was like a like a fairy tale well, romance of some kind and that they are going to get married and and this is her wondrous like romantic yeah. adventure but you know it's just schoolgirl fantasy yeah. stuff but no, and most and under most circumstances this wasn't going to end up with yeah. a happy marriage. That's true. And a, and a happy ending. Well, and, you know, perhaps the, you know, girls were so sheltered from that sort of thing, never alone with men, that they didn't understand the implications or the, you know, dangers. It's weird to talk about this now because society is so different now. It's like you have to put yourself in a different headspace to understand, you know, that sort of mindset, you know, that. Well, and I'm thinking she's 15. Yeah. I have a 15-year-old daughter. Yeah. <laughs> I hope she doesn't abscond to Scotland. They changed the laws in Scotland okay. in the 70s. That, so. that makes me yeah. feel better yeah. because we were thinking about maybe going to London next year. And yeah. If she were to meet somebody and yeah. run off to Scotland, that would be a tragedy. Well, she's often in rooms with 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 boys in at school and such. So, you know. Okay, thanks for clarifying. The sorry, that was not clear. Is she often in rooms with boys? <laughs> You know, in modern society, we often go to school with the opposite sex. It's true. They yeah. have uh, this thing called co-educational yes, schools. Yes, co-educational schools that we have. Okay, so kind of heading towards wrapping up. What is it? Why do you think this adaptation of Pride and Prejudice, like why does this stand out over this kind of adaptation of Jane Austen and the other things that, that are out there? I know you love Sense and Sensibility, yeah. but why is this one so special? What does this one do so much better than the others? Or why does it, everything feel just right? I, it's so well cast. It's so complete. It feels... I think they did such a good job of displaying the differences between, like, if, you, if you're at home at Longbourn, like, how close those rooms feel with all the family in it, and, like, there's a whole thing. And then the, the grand, you know, the difference between, like, a a ball in, in Mm -hmm. a small place downtown in, um, 
whatever the town Meriton that they're in versus a grand ball that happens at Netherfield in the ball area. They just did such a good, diff- good job of sort of like expressing the stratifications in society, mm-hmm. you know, in really subtle ways, but it's like, it's very clear and it's all in how it feels, you know, and, and then, you know, all the beautiful English countryside shots that we get and, the costumes, I, I, it's not any one thing. It, the story is so good, mm-hmm. and they were so faithful to the story that, you know, you can't help but love it, you know. There's no... It seems kind of rare for someone to really love a book and really love an adaptation, yeah. you know, and there's always that feeling of, well, the movie's not as good as the book. Yeah. Well, but you don't seem to have that. No, I mean, like, the, there. when you're reading the book, there you do get a little more insight into how Elizabeth feels about things, mm-hmm. but only because of the way that it... But, but you know, it is the best you can do, you know, to expressing everything that's in the, in the thing. So, I, I mean, like, I honestly think it's one of the best adaptations, period, ever, of all time, you know. And I love Pride and Prejudice, the book. It's not my favorite Jane Austen, though. Is Emma your favorite? Emma is my favorite. Okay. Yeah. So my experience with <laughs> Emma, that's probably the one I had the best experience yeah. with. I, I read it during that fateful year. Yeah. 1993, Wordsworth yeah. Classics, yeah. one pound paperback. I remember reading it in some, well, I don't know why I remember reading it in the crappy McDonald on Finchley Road, yeah. Northwest <laughs> London, on a rainy night with the old man who looked like Popeye sitting in a corner with his woman. <laughs> strange details but so that's that's one that i i remember and think fondly of yeah it's emma is i think more challenge it's a later work i think pride and prejudice is middle and sense and sensibility is early as far as Mm -hmm. that's the other one i've read but it's so it's complex it's interesting it it like all the other ones deals with class and everything like that i just something about it it just and then, of course, Clueless is based on Emma, you know, so. <laughs> I love how we got all these modern versions yeah. of, of the Austin novels. Yes. You had your um, Clueless and Bridget Jones's Diary. And uh, Bride and Prejudice, the sort of Bollywood. I forgot about that. Yeah. We did watch that By together. By the Bend It Like Beckham but I, director. Again, I don't know how closely it follows Pride and Prejudice because I haven't read Pride and Prejudice since high school. Yeah. I didn't remember the plot at all. Yeah. I remembered the names, Elizabeth Bennett and Mr. Darcy. I did not remember anything about the story. So I think one of the one of the effects this movie had on me was it made me want to read Pride and Prejudice again. Yeah. It made me want to go hit your your set of green hardback uh, Jane Austen that I'm pointing at. Yeah. See everybody look, I'm pointing at the um and reread some of those because yeah. the movie was so good. And if it's all there. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll just leave everyone with this, which is that, and in my life, there have been many a rainy Saturday afternoon <laughs> or Sunday when I'm feeling a little low and, you know, just need to sort of cocoon and, you know, let something beautiful and wondrous you know, wash over you. And is it this or end of green Gables? <laughs> it's this, okay. it's this almost, almost always it mm-hmm. would be pride and prejudice. If I'm feeling a slightly more depressed, it would be sense and sensibility since that one's a little more darker, a little dar- darker. Little darker in tone. Yeah. 
Um, but this is just a joy to watch. You know, it's it's beautiful. It's silly. It's There's funny. No it's smart. real tragedies. Yeah. It, nothing terrible really no. befalls anybody. Yeah. It it comes out happy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No one nearly dies of flu or whatever. Exactly. <laughs> Not in this one. Jane just has a trifling cold that a lot, that makes her stay for a couple days. At but don't field. watch Howard's End by Ian Vorster because no. the bookcase falls on that guy. <laughs> but I, I don't think anything pairs quite as nicely with a rainy afternoon as a British period. Piece. We didn't get to watch this on a rainy afternoon. Yeah, we got right. to watch this on a typical Austin 100 degree afternoon, yes. I think. <laughs> or six evenings yes. or something like that. We did. We watched. We never watched more than one episode per night, right? I think we watched two on one of the days. Okay, so I know we mentioned it before, but you need to, if you watch this, seek out the Blu-ray Oh, yeah, definitely the Blu-ray. I think it was like 10 or 15 bucks. Oh, yeah, it was, it was cheap, cheap at cheap. Target. Go to Target. Or Amazon. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it looks beautiful. It's gorgeous. And it was a lot of fun. And if you haven't seen it in a while, or if you've never seen it, you should check it out. Yep, do this it. This Jane Austen. Someone mm-hmm. to follow. Yes. See, see, where, see where it goes. Let's see where it all goes. Yeah. Um, all right. Do you have any other thoughts? That's all I got. Not about this? Okay. Uh, thanks for listening to us. Uh, tell your friends about the show. Uh, follow us on your favorite podcast app. You know, I should do this in the beginning of the show, and I never do. So that's why uh, we have some faithful listeners and maybe not a whole lot of other listeners. But there you go. <laughs> Um, anyway, find us on, uh, Apple podcasts and leave a star review or, uh, a rating and that will help other people find us and we'd be very happy and indebted to you. I don't know how we can express the indebtedness other than thanking you anonymous listeners. However, how, how is, however is such a sum to be repaid or something? And if you that. ever have a really, really strong feeling about Mr. Darcy or, or Colin Firth, uh, in the lake, you can write us an email. Yeah. Please explain to me why yes, we, we all think it's the, it's the bomb. I'm going to go looking for memes about Colin Firth in the lake. Oh, you'll find them. Okay. Yeah. Um, anyway, you can jot us some <laughs> feedback email at shutupwatchthis at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your thoughts and we will be back in about two weeks with Dave's pick, my pick. I'm Dave. I'm still Dave, right? Yes. Yes, my pick. I don't know what it is, so we can't plan ahead, and you'll just have to be surprised. So thank you very much, and we'll see you again. Bye. Bye. Bye.